Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst, Exasperated Jeff Edelstein. And Jeff, it is March, and I'm fired up. You know why? No, not March Madness. Whatever. Who cares? Uh, I'm not talking about Problem Gambling Awareness Month either, although that is important, and we'll recognize it later on this podcast. The reason I'm excited that we've reached March is our TV shows come back this month. Uh, The final season of Succession, the probably final season of Ted Lasso, the second season of Yellow Jackets, plus Survivor started last night, which I think is just a me thing and not an us thing. Uh, But anyway, Jeff, nobody I know gets more obsessed with the TV shows they're obsessed with than you. So which of these returning shows are you most obsessively obsessing over? I mean, succession, no brainer. That, that's a that. I mean, that's always been a watch Sunday night, rewatch Monday morning, read about it Monday <laughs> afternoon, listen to podcast Tuesday kind of situation for me. Okay. Uh, to me, it's the best show on TV. And you know, now this is it. They're they're closing up shop after four seasons, which I which I'm sad about, but happy about because you know they they have an ending. In, you know, there hasn't been a wasted moment on the show yet, so I expect no wasted moments. If they stick this landing, if this is like a, another awesome season. I, it may jump. It may become the best show of all time for me. Wow! Um, so very excited for Succession. I'm very excited for Yellow Jackets. I'm a little concerned that you know, you know, there's no game plan for this one. You know what I mean? I'm right, a little concerned right. that in the second season, you know, it might get into like dopey territory. Uh, Ted Lasso. I, I like Ted Lasso. I, I, I take it or leave it. I don't care. Uh, and as far as Survivor, I, I think I stopped watching around the same time AOL stopped sending me discs. But uh, <laughs> I, but I like Survivor, but right. th- I, the commitment is too much for me. I understand. Yeah, the the two hour premiere Wednesday night was a lot, even though I I waited out to start on delay so that I could fast forward through all the commercials. But it's it's still a lot. Uh, an hour an hour long episode that comes out to forty seven minutes without the commercials. I can do that every week. But right. um, yeah, but I, I'm with you as to which is the uh, the marquee event here. I will uh, hope that none of the people involved in paying me as a freelancer for Showtime are listening to this. Uh, but uh, yeah, obviously Succession is the main event of March. I'm totally thrilled that they've announced this is the final season. I I mean, yes, I'm also sad like you are, but I just, I don't want to know what succession looks like when the writer's room has run out of ideas and is in its Sopranos Johnny Cakes phase. Um, And you said there wasn't a wasted moment. There haven't been many, but I did feel early in the third season, there were some cracks showing a few episodes where they were sort of spinning their wheels, although they righted the ship and, and finished the third season real strong. But this is how you do it. Go out on top. Don't just keep aimlessly cranking out episodes with no end in sight the way that we do on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should set an end date, Jeff. Uh, this is this well, is this is episode two thirty one. What do you? Let's, that's, that's what I was gonna say. A thousand. Yeah, let's. We're yeah. calling it now. A thousand episodes, and we're out. <laughs> that's that's it. Non negotiable. Non negotiable. It's done. Yeah. We got about fifteen more years of this, and then that's it.
That seems reasonable. Okay. Seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 231 out of 1,000 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 230 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you don't do those things, well, in the words of Logan Roy, fuck off. <laughs> Very good. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want everyone to fuck off. Though. I'd like you to stick around and listen to our interview with Keith White from, uh, you know, the National Council on Problem Gambling. We talked about uh, an article that Keith and I wrote together, basically. It was a, a series of letters back and forth. You can find that on Sports Handle about whether or not I'm a problem gambler. Spoiler alert. Eh, eh, not really. Uh, but listen, before we get to that, as always, Eric, plenty of news to get through. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. As noted on last week's podcast, Jeff's least favorite topics are states considering legalizing sports betting and revenue reports. But as revenue reports go, the one we have this week is fairly interesting. Ohio has reported its January numbers the first legal month of sports betting in Ohio, and all the state did was set the all-time single-month revenue record. The $1.11 billion in handle was not the record, though it was more than any state but New York and New Jersey has ever generated. But thanks to an insane 18.8% hold, Ohio sportsbooks saw collective revenue of $208.9 million, shattering the previous best of $149.9 million set in New York the same month. Uh, of the $1.11 billion in bets, 98% of it was online. But that leaves 2% done in person, and so, on a possibly related note, Ohio brick-and-mortar casinos had their biggest revenue month ever in January. But, uh, wow, the story is that hold rate and all that revenue. Jeff, your thoughts on Ohio betters getting their clocks cleaned and anything else of interest to you inside these numbers? What's the opposite of beginner's luck? I mean, because beginners suck, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there you this, go. This, huh? this was yeah. this was terrible. I mean, how in the world do you lose that much money? An eighteen point eight percent hold. I mean, that is like that's unfathomable. You know, it's you know, once in a lifetime. Uh, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm guessing that the Bengals cost betters a lot of money that Chiefs game. I mean, if I had, is that or is that reasonable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I had the same thought that that's at least part of it. I mean, but, I mean, listen, Ohio betters, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run to a state without sports betting. Slow down. <laughs> I like I like your twist on Kenny Rogers' lyrics there. It's a good yeah. song. Yeah. And it really, it's a legitimately great song. Yeah, I guess so. It's not it's not my style of music, but as, uh, you know, country-ish kind of songs like that go, sure, why not? Yeah, sure. um, yeah no, my, my initial reaction to seeing that massive hold was indeed thinking about the Bengals and, and that Ohio must have gone crazy uh, betting on them against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship because, you know, whether you had them on the spread or the money line, you lost. But uh, I thought about it a little more. The Bengals, the previous week against the Bills, they won and covered, and, and you could bet on that game. Uh, they won but didn't cover in the in the first-round playoff game against the Ravens. One game that the majority of Ohio bettors are, are likely to have lost on doesn't explain it. So I, I'm thinking it must have more to do with people having these promotional first bets and taking flyers, knowing they'll get a second chance maybe as part of it, and or people in Ohio being ready out of the gate to do same-game parlays with reckless abandon. And, you know, if all people are betting is parlays, 
an 18.8% hold isn't so unusual. I mean, I'm sure it's not all parlays, but maybe Ohio is really parlay heavy out of the gate and that helps partially explain it. I don't know. It's just 18.8% hold is like, it's, it's, it's unimaginable. Yeah. I don't know. But I uh, mean, you know, whether, whether that one football game did or did not totally tip the scales, uh, we, there is some, some news on, one major football game totally tipping the scales uh, out of Kansas, which reported its Super Bowl betting numbers. The public came out $14.5 million ahead on $24.7 million handle, the exact opposite of Pennsylvania, where sportsbooks won $29.7 million off of $84.3 million bet. People definitely do bet with their hearts. Uh, that's, uh, that's one, I guess, not surprising takeaway here from those numbers. Do you know that I didn't know that Kansas City – was both in Kansas and St. Louis. I mean, both in Kansas and Missouri. Is it that that it's one city spread into both, or they're two separate Kansas well, they're cities? Two, they're 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 separate because they're in two different states, but it's right. one geographical area. This, according to Paul Rudd, well, I <laughs> he would know. He would know. He was yeah. he was from there. He was right. from there. It's, Still so is from there. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But that's what he. I didn't, I thought there were two. I, I didn't know that they were like, you know, that they were continuous. I thought they were separate. Huh. Yeah, I guess I, wrong, I guess I, mean, I, guess I did too. I I've actually know. been to Kansas City, Kansas. Now I'm questioning myself which state I was in. I was at I was at a boxing event in one of the Kansas cities at one point, and this was a long time ago, like 20 years ago. At that point, I think I knew a little bit about this uh, confusing Kansas City geography, but I've forgotten whatever I knew. But, I mean, uh, listen, if we're being honest, everything between Philadelphia and Los Angeles is just one big blob as far as <laughs> That's fair. You know what? We should have Paul Rudd on the podcast to break this down for us. I yeah, think that... I'll reach out. Episode 1000. Let's line him <laughs> up. Um, I do just want to say uh, on the Ohio topic, very impressive launch in, t- in terms of like this was well organized and well built toward um, New York started this trend and Ohio continued it uh, of, of states firing on all cylinders out of the gate and seeing massive betting handle. I'm just thinking back on the early days with New Jersey and Pennsylvania where the opening month was no big deal. It was a gradual build and, and lots of potential betters probably didn't even know the launch had happened. So these states are getting better at, at coming out of the gate strong. Yeah, at least. for sure. All right. Our second story is one that is going to require us to say full disclosure a time or two as it impacts our business directly with both New York and Massachusetts examining their sportsbook advertising rules and where affiliates fit into the system. So, Full disclosure, uh, U.S. Bets is an affiliate site. The money that pays our salaries to cover the industry comes from customers opening sportsbook accounts via our websites. With that out of the way, at a Monday meeting, the New York State Gaming Commission unanimously approved new rules to help prevent gambling advertisements from reaching people under 21 and also prohibit misleading marketing, such as the use of the phrase risk-free. The rules would also ban affiliate marketing. There is a 60-day public comment period before the rules can take effect. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, they already have a rule on the books not to allow affiliates, but at a Monday hearing, various parties, including representatives of our parent company, Better Collective, representatives of sportsbooks, and responsible gambling advocates argued that affiliates help limit black market betting and are an important part of the ecosystem, and the commissioners hinted at a likelihood of amending the rule. So we don't know where this is headed, Jeff, but it certainly represents a potential threat to our company's well-being. Uh, your thoughts, both as a better collective company man and as a general person in the gambling industry. 
Uh, for, yeah, so starting off, for resume inquiries, uh, please contact me at my personal email. That's <laughs> jeffedelstein at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, listen, I, I honestly, I feel like we're the last place legislators should be looking at with, to limit this stuff. I mean, yeah. we're not worming your way onto primetime TV. We're not, like, billboarding everywhere. If you're coming to our sites, you're already interested in this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Um but honestly, in the end, I, I think, you know, this will probably end up not going that far when it comes to us. Uh, you know, legislators, you know, their knowledge of sports betting and just about everything has to be mile wide inch deep. And once they realize that we're not the we're not the problem, you know, I don't even know if there is a problem, honestly. Like, right. you know, the, again, my libertarian streak seems to really pop out when it comes to these topics. Like, you know, you, we, you've gone ahead and legalized sports betting. Now we're going to try to limit advertising. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I don't know. But I, I, I'm not particularly worried about any of it at this point. But sharing your personal email address just in case. Just in case. Sure. You never know. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Can't maybe be too Paul, safe. Maybe Paul Rudd needs a, you know, a stunt double. Who knows? <laughs> You're about the same age, even though uh, you look 10 years older than him, which is no insult to you. It's just no, a comment on how good Paul Rudd looks. Yeah. Um, He's a handsome fellow. Yes, yeah. Um, it really spans the generations. I don't want. I, I'm sorry to get all Paul Rudd sidetracked here, but he is someone that like my daughter can think is hot and my wife can think is hot. It's uh, it's kind of impressive. Good for yeah. you, Paul Rudd. Mazel tov, Paul. Yes. Um, so on this topic, uh, getting away from Paul Rudd for just a sec, we'll come back to him, I'm sure. But um, I'm biased, obviously. But yeah, I, I don't really get why. If you understand what affiliate site do. You, you would want to ban them. If you spend time on our sites, you'll see they're they're largely educational about how the industry works, how to sign up, what the bonuses entail, tons, tons of information about responsible gambling practices. I totally get not wanting ads that reach kids and teens and have, uh, you know, make, make sports betting sound nothing but exciting. But what we do is pretty much the opposite of that. Um, I got to say, you've been on top of one part of this from the start, Jeff. You identified that that series of New York Times articles was potentially going to be influential. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and indeed, it seems ever since then, legislators in New York have been determined to crack down on this horrible, no good, terrible, very bad industry of ours. Um, let, let's see what happens in Massachusetts, because that's coming first. And all signs point toward them reversing course and allowing at least some affiliate deals, maybe not all types, but at least the CPA deals. And then maybe what they do will influence where it goes in New York. All in all, like you, I'm not too concerned here for, for better collective and for U.S. bets and whatnot. But, uh, you know, check back in 60 days if New York actually goes through with this. But I, I'm guessing they'll revise the affiliate angle before then. I hope so. Yeah, I would expect them to. And and honestly, to be perfectly honest, I really don't even know exactly what the hell we do. <laughs> good. Well, it's that it, good that you are on this end of the business Rather Not the other than, end. Right? Rather than on the business side, then we'd really be screwed. Uh, all right. Uh, whatever the future holds for U.S. bets, it's brighter than for the people who were working for Monkey Knife Fight. Uh, for those who don't know, MKF is one of those sports betting sites that claims to be a fantasy site. Uh, you're betting against the house on player props. It's not fantasy, but through whatever loophole, MKF was legal in lots of states that don't have regulated sports betting. On Tuesday, Bally's shuttered MKF about two years after purchasing it for $90 million. Bally's intention was to build a player database via MKF in states that it thought would soon legalize full sports betting, 
But Florida, Texas, and California have all failed to legalize so far, and Bally's has been struggling financially on the digital side. So after reportedly trying to sell MKF at a discount, Bally's gave up and shut down the site. I never dabbled in MKF. Maybe you did, Jeff. Uh, Would you like to eulogize Monkey Knife Fight? And uh, how, how bad does Bally's look on this deal? Well, Bally's looks pretty bad, right? I mean, you buy something for $90 million and then two years later, you're shuttering it. That, that seems like bad business. Yeah. Um, uh, and as a New Jersey resident, I never, I wasn't, you know, Monkey Knife Fight uh, was not offered okay. to me here. But I will eulogize. I will take a moment to say E-E-U-U-A-A-A. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, the I, I'm, I'm working on a story, actually. The American Gaming Association and their state of the state kind of speech, you know, kind of like, mentioned sites like monkey knife fight as something that like you know congress needs to take a hard look at and like ban them um you know because as you said like these aren't exactly fantasy but they're threading a needle right. uh, so like the prize picks the underdogs i mean i think they need to you know uh, they, they they should be aware that i think you know the aga is is starting to stare them down a little bit i don't understand why they wouldn't try to bring them into the big tent here you know and let, let's just you know let's can't we all just get along but uh, you know, what do I know? I'm, I I I don't know anything. You know, I just I just think that you know, it, it the more the merrier. I always think when it comes to this and every other type of you know form of entertainment and or business. Give me choices, you know. So let's right. let's keep prize picks and underdog and all of them running smoothly. I say. Yeah, I mean, underdog seems totally different to me in that it, it certainly. It certainly is fantasy, at least. Uh, it's a, well, no, no, they they also run like you know prize picks, like yeah, they oh, also they run do, those. They like, have over, the same yeah. sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, in that's certainly their in the best gray ball area. stuff. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, yeah, I I don't have a ton to add on this one. Uh, we had Bill Asher, the the founder of MKF, on the podcast at least once, maybe twice. Um, seemed like a good guy, had some good ideas, and this was a decent business idea. And I, I mean, I guess he made out just fine on it financially. Um, but. It was always farcical to call this fantasy, to say it was akin to DFS and should be legal wherever DFS was legal. As for Bally's, they have a new CEO, Robeson Reeves. Uh, Definitely a made-up name. It sounds like a succession character that the Roy family goes to meet with on his private island or something, Robeson Reeves. Um, But he's, uh, he's out here talking about all these new strategies. We'll see. It seems like Bally's hasn't made a dent on the digital side yet. To me, they're basically just kind of an old school casino name. Uh, The previous regime took a shot on MKF being a game changer for them, and it wasn't at all. And maybe if those California ballot measures had passed in November, the outlook would be different. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Farewell, Monkey Knife Fight, uh, the former alleged number three daily fantasy site, although not really a fantasy site at all. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. There's never a bad time for an intelligent discussion about problem gambling, but now is a particularly good time for it because March is Problem Gambling Awareness Month. So joining us now is the executive director of the National Council on Problem Gambling. He is the Keith in the headline of Jeff's new sports handle article, Dear Keith, Do I Have a Gambling Problem? Keith White, welcome back to Gamble On. Well, thanks, Eric and Jeff. Uh, You didn't tell me it was going to be an intelligent conversation, so I'm I'm out. This is going to be the shortest (laughs) podcast ever. Well, you know, let, let me get uh, let me jump in. You know, one of the things that I found most fascinating in in this our back and forth was, you know, you hear a lot 
when it comes to problem gambling about, oh, this guy lost $50,000. This guy maxed out his credit cards, you know, and, you know, all about the money. But one thing that we ended up really touching on and what we found out my wife was more concerned about was the time spent gaming. And that's something that you really don't hear that much about. Um, So where does that where does time kind of like weave its way in to the problem gaming discussion? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thanks, Jeff. And one of the things I would say to, to step backwards is if you're talking about someone who's who has an alcohol problem, like one of the metrics would never be, you know, how many fifths of vodka did you drink over the past year? Nobody cares, right? Because you right. think about the consequences. And so that's that, you know, alcohol is not always a good analog for gambling, but in, in some ways it is. Um you know, because obviously gamblers talk a lot about the t- the the money spent or lost and you know that kind of thing, and that and that's an important metric, of course. But yeah, so the time bit, um, that's one of the things we think about because one of the reasons is that's what we hear most often from people in recovery. And so in, in our article, I talked about this story, and this is from real life. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy who's my age, um, you know, literally my age, when he talked about developing his problem, he would say, you know, I was at my daughter's soccer game, but I wasn't there. Because I was, you know, thinking about the the bets, you know, thinking about what I lost, thinking about how to get the money back, thinking about, you know, da 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 da. He was present, but he wasn't. And 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 he reports now he's in good recovery, but he can't get that time back. And so, and that sticks with me. And I hear that from a lot of people's serious problems. The the good news is, y- you don't have a serious problem, right? And so, yes. you know, it hasn't it hasn't begun to um, really take all that headspace. And, and, you know, another, another um, recovering gambler I listen to a lot um, uh, who has a podcast talks about how much time he now has for everything else. Now that he's not constantly thinking about gambling and what in the three of us, you know, we all we think about gambling a lot. Right. But, you know, professionally and personally. And, and that's and that's fine. Just imagine if more or less every waking moment was consumed with um, especially not not, you know, the, the negative thinking about your bad beats, you know, thinking about, all right, what do you have to sort of beg, borrow or steal to get right so that you can keep betting today? You know, so, so it's, it's that it's, it's, you know, time gets into things like preoccupation. Um, time gets into that, you know, the, the quality of time. And, and obviously it's, it's very subjective, of course. And that's the other thing that makes this a really interesting and difficult discussion because how much time you may spend is different you know, than Eric, it's different for me and, and, you know, what, what your family can accommodate if you have a family even. So anyway, I mean, it's, it's a long way of getting around that, but that's, that's one of those intangibles that is difficult to quantify even, you know? Right. So, so yeah, so, so it was a really interesting discussion. And of course, you know, we, you know, we're, we all, I think the other thing that, that was really fascinating about, about the, about the, about the conversation was that, everybody perceives of, of it differently, right? The people in your life, you know, your wife and your kids have a different perspective than you. And, and often, you know, we only know what we know. And until you ask the question or until you have that discussion, and again, huge kudos to you for having that that discussion. I mean, I, I could almost hear it in real time. You type in, hey, let me ask my wife. And she came back. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily have that conversation with my wife. So, you know, <laughs> but again, do, do, you know, uh, that's one of the hallmarks about this is being able to talk about it, even when it may be a little bit of a, of a rub and attention. That's that's perhaps even a more important or the most important time to talk about it now and, and to kind of get that level set to see where people are. And then, yeah, if you want to make an adjustment, you make an adjustment. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah I definitely I, I put my phone away during uh, I know now not to look at my phone during NBA DFS lock <laughs> around seven o'clock at dinner time. We've moved dinner time. We've to, dinner time. To, that's the, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, solution. It's a simple solution, you know, so we're, we're good there. <laughs> Erica, how are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that that was one of the most uh, interesting parts of the article to me reading it and, and editing. It was Jeff consulting with his wife and getting her view on on as a sort of a contrast or a, a compliment to to his view on things. Um, another thing that you talked about in the article, Keith, that, that stood out to me was the three phases of gambling, winning, losing and desperation. In your experience, just how dangerous is it when someone's early experience with gambling is a winning phase? I mean, I, I realize it varies from person to person, but, you know, in general, if I were to hypothesize that a person who loses or breaks about even the first few times they gamble is less likely to become a problem gambler than a person who scores a big win right out of the gate, is that yeah. hypothesis in line with reality? You're exactly right. Yeah, you're you're more of a clinician than I am now, and, and I should know, you know, that I'm definitely not not a clinician. But yes, um, an early unexpected big win is clinically significant, and and I, I just want to be I want to be really careful to caveat that it doesn't mean that every single person that has an early unexpected big win is you know will become a person with a gambling problem. Um, but it's it, talking to people in treatment for severe gambling problems that is one of the most clinically significant things that can happen. Statistically, though. Even most people who have an early unexpected big win will never develop a gambling problem. This we have to always remind people this is a low base rate disorder. You know, it, you can have all the risk factors in the world. You can have an early big win. You can have a first degree family member with a problem, you know, biological predisposition, da, 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 da. And still most people who have all that will never develop a problem. But yes, to your point, Eric, uh, it can create, you know, what we hear is that it creates unrealistic expectations. You can especially at a very young age, you can, you may even fundamentally change your brain. You know, it, it's, it's like early exposure to alcohol. You know, it's, it's not just the, the feeling it's, you know, you may start to activate neural pathways or close off other neural pathways that make your brain more and more tuned uh, to, to, to only craving and only wanting that type of reinforcement. And of course, this wouldn't matter as much if people with gambling problems didn't experience tolerance. So here again is where there, there's an important parallel to alcohol. You know, the more you drink, the more tolerance you develop, right? And so the more and more alcohol you need to get that same buzz. People with gambling problems report the exact same thing. And we can actually see it. You know, if you stick someone with a gambling problem in an MRI, you know, you can you can see some of those same patterns def, dead, deadened. And you need more and more gambling to activate those same receptors to get that same excitement. And unfortunately, um, unlike alcohol or other substances, there's not any there's not any physical defenses you don't pass out you know passing out is your body's way of saying you've had too much to drink you know throwing up you know overdosing um those aren't good guardrails but they are guardrails um there's not enough money in the world to overdose a problem gambler you know you could always double up and double up you can always bet more and more and more and you know there there are some people with gambling problems uh that, you know ten thousand dollar bet it's nothing it, it doesn't even move the needle for them it's just, you know, it's, you know, they, they, they need, they have to have more and more money to get that same spark, you know, so, so that early unexpected big win um, can lead to uh, some of that tolerance. And that's what can make it a, a gambling problem so dangerous in later life. If you're having to bet more and more money to, to even try and get back to that, that first spark, you know, when you're 13 and you're, you're kind of bad uncle took you to the track and, you know, you won a long shot race because you like the jockey silks. You had no idea what you're doing. You know, that can create a sort of lifetime 
of trying to get that that's uh, ever chasing it's ever farther out of reach you know trying to achieve recreate that same high you, you know the, the the uncle i swear to you my <laughs> uncle dick that's i mean he was uncle dick and my, my he was a bachelor and he drove you know a cadillac and a white turtleneck i mean i can remember him you know he would come over he'd have a big smile and a toothpick he was a gambling man and he would sit us down me and my brother and he would take out a bill out of his wallet and he'd cover up the serial number with his thumb and he'd say guess a number and if yeah. you guess it right you get to keep you, know, you get to keep it and if you guessed right, he'd give it to you. If you guessed wrong, you lost. And that was the end of it. But some days he would come over, it'd be a dollar bill. Some days it'd be a hundred dollar bill, you know, yeah. and I would play that game today in a heartbeat. Absolutely. You know? Things are, they're, they're, the, they're, they're fun. They're some right. of those grandiose, you know, and again, money is, is, you know, not as meaningful in some ways. Right. And uh, yeah, and it's good. And, and, you know, normalizing gambling, talking about it, you know, being open and upfront and, and just having those conversations is is very good because for too long we keep gambling in the shadows for too long yeah. we don't talk about it and and addiction breeds in that silence and shame and stigma let me so speaking of all this give me give, give us like a a quick hit way to start self-diagnosing a problem you know or you know to, yeah. to a self-check basically like what would be like a you know a, a quick and dirty way if i if for someone to say all right let me let me do a check-in let me let me let me change the oil on this let me see where i'm at sure setting being able to set a limit and stick to it so if you in a cold state if you say my 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 bankroll this this week this month is x and at the end of the week day month whatever it is you check and if you're still there you're you're probably in good shape right you know and that, not just because you had a big win and all of a sudden you know you made it back on the last you know on the sunday night game um but you know if you're able to to, to keep to that limit of time and money and it's a reasonable limit of time and money that because that's an objective standard a lot of the other stuff unfortunately is very subjective things like preoccupation and loss of control you know we talked about time how hard it is to measure are you spending too much time you know whether you think that or your wife and kids think that so so but be and especially today the apps provide more and more tools to help you track this you know and so you talked a lot about good bankroll management and i and i think that's a that's a subset of this i mean there there's Good what bankroll management is important for a lot of reasons, but it can also be good for your RG. You know, it, it can be good for you to say, you know, I said I was going to, you know, I said $100 was my limit. You know, if you get to the end of the week and, and you total it up and it's and you're at 450, well, you know, that that's that's a good that's a good time to, to take that check. Um, so so I think that's that's probably one of the, the you know plain language. You don't have to be a psychologist to, to do that, you know, just kind of use the apps and, and, you know, but be honest with yourself, you know, make sure, cause it's hard. It's hard sometimes to, to really track, you know, especially if you're rebetting or, you know, you've just one more parlay or it's da, 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 you know, that, that can add up and, it, and it's, and that's okay. Um, as long as you're, 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 you're keeping an accurate assessment. If I, if we had another kid, I think just one more parlay would be its name. <laughs> or SGP, right. and you're like Scott Grant, you know, Paulson, Edelson, right. you know, so you can you can you can go by SGP. I think that'd be awesome. yeah. as much as you like to gamble, Jeff. I think that's too big of a you having another kid. That's that's a gamble you're not willing to <laughs> take. Fair, I had to guess. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> um. So so Keith. Uh, one topic that I'm really curious about is um, the hotline calls. When We've seen yeah, that when yeah. sports betting launches in a new state, um, it, it's inevitably followed a few months later by a report that calls to the problem gambling hotlines are up. And I feel like that's usually framed in the media as a bad thing. 
Is it, though? Should it be framed as a good thing that people are identifying that they need to make these calls and, and a sign that regulation is yeah. working? How do you react when you see those statistics on hotline call numbers going way up? I think it's both. And it's such a great question, Eric. It's so important because, you know, we just said there's just another, as you said, just another raft of articles. I think about Ohio calls going up and, you know, people were wringing their hands. And it, so it's both good and bad. So to break it down a little bit, we think that, right, let me stick it. We know the vast majority of people with with current gambling problems never call the helpline. You know, so so calls to the helpline represent only a tiny fraction of people with problems. So in that, looking at it from a public health lens, an increase in calls is generally a good thing because more more people with current problems are reaching out. So so the question really becomes: of those new callers, how many of them have new gambling problems, or how many of them have sort of existing gambling problems? And now, perhaps because of the expansion of sports betting and, and greater publicity, there's more, you know, they're calling. Because I do think it's it's unquestioned that one of the biggest drivers of hotline calls is not really the base rate of problems or whether it's going up or down, especially in a, in a month, you know, or two months. But it is increased awareness and increased advertising or promotion, I should say, of the helpline number. So I think promotion and adver- promotion and awareness, which are two separate things. Um, are much bigger drivers of help by calls than, you know, in the next, in, in the past two months since sports betting went live, have all of a sudden, you know, a lot more people develop problems. Some probably have, or some may have crashed out. They have existing problems and sports betting came and like, woohoo, you know, they went crazy and they binged. But I do think, um, uh, and, and, and just so promotion advertising or promotion and awareness, there are still many people with gambling problems who report what they didn't know that what they had was a disorder. They didn't know that there was help available. They didn't realize it was treatable, you know, they, in, until someone else stepped up and said, hey, you know, I had a problem or they saw an ad on, on TV. So that, that's sort of that that awareness part, just more awareness that this is a preventable, treatable disorder that, you know, hope and help is available. Um, the second part is, is sort of deliberate promotion. You know, nowadays, most states are going to require that there's a helpline ad, that there's a helpline mention. And we unfortunately in the problem gambling field over the last 30 years haven't made it easy for people to seek help because in the 90s uh when gambling expanded in the riverboat era each state thought it was a good idea to set up their own problem gambling helpline number so if you listen to the ad the ads obviously you hear from operators you know you hear there there are over 25 different state helpline numbers in some cases some national ads you get this you know minnesota call blah, 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 blah. you know it's, and, and that helps nobody right like that and that's a compliance-based approach to responsible gambling which is ineffective inefficient trivializes the disorder it's it's bad in all kinds of reasons but that's why the national council we're, we're trying to help um 800 gambler is the national helpline number uh it works in all 50 states it routes callers directly to those state call centers Right. So it's like going to 911 instead of calling, instead of finding out whatever the number is for your local fire department, you just call 911 and get instantly and automatically rooted there. That's the same concept behind uh, the National Helpline, which has been in place since 1995. So not a new idea. But the logjam is many of these antiquated state regulations that require if your ad is seen in Arizona, you have to use our state specific number. So we're working, and frankly, in partnership with AGA and most of the major operators in the leagues and the clubs and Better Collective and everyone like you, because it's such an obvious idea, to go into these states and say, look, we, we get that in 1995, setting up your own state helpline number was a great idea, or at least a good idea. 
2023, requiring an operator list year number and 25 other different numbers is is a bad idea. It actually hurts people trying to trying to get help for a gameway problem. So you've got to change your regulations to allow national ads, national marketing to use 800 Gambler. And we are rolling out uh, with the funding from the NFL Foundation, uh, a whole new suite of materials. We're going to have a, a video, a, a TV, print, radio, public service announcement for 800 Gambler, which will be the first in the history of the country. Mm. You know, we've not been doing responsible gambling at a national level for, for, for it. we've not been doing it well for a very, very long time. So I think with that, so over the next couple of months, you're going to see a major push Um uh, to change regulations at the state level. There's already almost 25 states that allow 800 Gambler to be used in lieu of their state number. So we're already at half the country. Over the next couple of months, when we roll out our new branding and messaging around 800 Gambler, uh, you know, TV, PSAs, things like that, the leagues are gonna start pushing it. Um, I think you're gonna see many of these states shift and allow that. In that at least, so, so it's, sorry, that was a long way back to your point. No. One reason why, um, you're going to see calls in, increase when there's when sports betting is legalized. Is that now finally in most states they're actually promoting a national number that anybody can use <laughs> and call. And so 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 it's I I I I think it's also important to say that sometimes increases in helpline calls are a negative. You know it's it's because more people are having problems. Mm-hmm. And another part of our initiative is is to. Um, establish a, a, a common data set across, across all these 27 different state helpline call centers so that they can feed real-time data back into one central point at the National Council. And then we're going to dive into that. We're going to get researchers. We're going to talk about it. And, and we're going to start to look at the not the qu- quantity of the calls, but the quality of the calls, if you will. And that will then start to tell us, hey, you know, um, Fred, you just called the helpline. You know, sports betting was legalized last week. How long have you been betting sports problematically? Oh, 20 years. Okay. You know, I, I'm not, so I'm not really going to, you know, attribute that to this massive increase in problems in the past two weeks. You know, it's, it's, it's a long going thing, but you know, it, I, I think it's a mixed message it, or not. It's, I think it's, it's a mixed bag. It, it could, it, it's generally, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It's probably both. Um, but we don't know enough yet about really the underlying reason for these calls um, to, to, to say definitive, you know, to say one way or the other, it's mostly bad or mostly good. So minus one ten on each side is what he's saying. There you, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and it's good. And frankly, sometimes, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to emphasize those increases. You know, we're trying to increase public awareness. We're trying to, you know, push, you know, we're trying to advocate. And so, you know, we may be part of that, that problem, you know, it, because for us, the other lens to look at it, you know, and again, it's one of these things where you can look at it 15 different ways. Um, the national council pays, for the cost of every one of those calls. So if you say to me, as many operators do, well, now that we promote the number, um, you know, we're getting this huge, you know, you're you're getting a huge increase in calls, but th- those are just, you know, th- those aren't those aren't people who are calling for help. We have to answer every one of those calls as if it is someone who's potentially suicidal, like because that that's you know, people with severe gambling problems are highly prone to negative consequences, including self-destructive behavior. Um, you know, we we may get, and this is a rough estimate. You know, most helplines, um, you know, are going will experience suicidal callers, if not on a daily basis, a weekly basis. So, if you're an operator, and let's say you're one operator, online sports betting operator in particular, who doesn't have an 800 number anywhere on their website for customer service, they drive thousands, but but they prominently advertise 800 Gambler, which they should do. 
they're driving thousands of pissed off, angry customers who are want to have their bonus or can't get into their account <laughs> to the problem gambling helpline. So the operator might say, well, you know, we know most of these calls are not crisis calls. We say, yeah, but we're still at, at three o'clock in the morning. We still have to answer every single one of them as if it is. And then we have to get them to your customer service, which is a chat bot, not a number. Right. You know, so, so I think so. So, yeah, that's yet another driver of. <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, if people are reading it as problem, comma, gambler, question mark. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, or in some cases, yeah. and, and we see this, and it's not just the online sports bin industry. There are a number of state lotteries who put the, the internet number on the back of a ticket, right? Makes sense. It's good. But a couple of these lotteries only ha- either have a toll number to to find the winning number, or they, they don't have another number at all. Right. And so we find the same thing. Somebody wants to know what who you know who won the pick six last night. Not you should be your answer. Yeah, it's always it's almost always that. So they call an injured gambler, and then we've got to refer him back. So it, right. it, it, there are many layers to this. I guess I'll just wrap up and say um, it's good and bad, but there's so many so many different lenses to look at this through. Um, and I th- but I think that's it's it's a great topic. It's a really important question that so few people are asking. Everyone just looks at the surface. Ooh, numbers going up, bad or good. And yeah, as with most things, it's it's probably it's it's a lot of both. Yeah, yeah there are a lot of a lot of layers to uh, to all of this, and uh, it's something we should talk about all year round. But uh, yeah. especially especially uh, now in March is a great time to uh, focus on it. So. I'll, I'll note that everyone can uh, find your organization online at ncpgambling.org. Anywhere else, Keith, that people should go to to learn more uh, during Problem Gambling Awareness Month? For, for folks who listen to this pod, responsibleplay.org is, is probably an even better destination. So okay. that's the uh, site that we built uh, for for sports bettors and, and frankly, for people who bet sports and don't have problems. So it's a it's a site to help you stay in control. It's got a lot of the tips that we talked about with Jeff. Um, it, it's promoted now by NB, by NBA, NFL, PGA is, is launching a spot uh, now in March uh, that also features responsibleplay.org. We invite the other leagues to do so. We have membership relationships now with all the other leagues except one. And we're actively promoting that because that site is tailored to sports bettors who, who don't have problems. Right. That's that's how to keep it responsible. That's how to, you know, stay in your lane and all that kind of stuff. And so we're we're eager uh for everybody to start echoing that that message as well. On this our 20th anniversary, uh PGAM. You know, often there's a lot of recency bias in in our field, you know. We we um but um Problem Gambling Awareness Month was created, you know, 20 years ago. And you know why, and we all know why we picked March, because at that time, March Madness was, you know, and it is probably still today a much bigger gambling event than things like the Super Bowl. And while sports betting wasn't legal anywhere except, you know, Nevada, essentially, we still thought it was important to call out the fact that there's a lot of illegal gambling going on, a lot of people getting jammed up by sports, you know, so it doesn't matter as much whether it's legal in your state or not. You know, thank you, Utah and Hawaii. We know you haven't legalized gambling. You still have gamblers and you still have people with gambling problems. So let's all talk about it and have this conversation during March. And the other thing that was salient for us is March Madness is, of course, a great marketing term, but... If you're someone who's seriously in the depths of a gambling addiction, it it does feel like madness. You know, you can't stop doing something that is causing so much harm to you that objectively, you know, you get and, and you keep going back. And so we wanted to, to sort of highlight that for the 98 percent of people, March Madness it, it evokes fun. It's crazy. It's, you know, it's all everything that good, good about the tournament and, and likely good about recreational sports betting. But for that 2%, 
madness has, you know, that, that different connotation and trying to, and, and you know, it's, it's all about creating that balance, right? You know, we have to message to the 98% and that's responsibleplay.org. But then there's the 2% too, that we can't, we can't ignore. And, and that's more of, you know, things around our problem gambling awareness month. Great. All right. Fascinating stuff as always. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast again, Keith. Oh, no, it's great. I mean, you guys keep having me back. Um, you know, sometime we'll have an intelligent, co- you'll get an intelligent uh, guest. <laughs> we're getting, we'll we're getting closer. This was almost intelligent. We're, yeah, we're circling it. <laughs> no, we really, we really appreciate it. I mean, this is so important for us. And uh, we really appreciate the, appreciate the support of Responsible Gambling and the interest in digging into this. And, you know, we should never be afraid to ask these questions and, and ask the hard questions, the tough questions of ourselves, as, as Jeff did, you know, tough questions about helpline calls. You know, we we welcome that. And so, you know, I, I hope, I hope folks know we try to get it right. We don't always, you know, uh, but we're, we're ever on that quest, you know, over the last 52 years to continue to improve, to continue to do it better. And, you know, we love doing it in partnership with, with y'all. So thank you. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll, and I'm not sure exactly how many consecutive winning weeks we'd had, uh, but we were on a nice streak, uh, but the streak is over. Minor setback with last week's bets. We only had one winning bet last week. The Mavs crushed the Spurs last Thursday and covered. We won $100 on that. My boxing bet on plus 240 underdog Joseph Adorno came close. He, He was totally outboxing his opponent the first six rounds then got hurt in the 7th and knocked down and got screwed by a terrible knockdown call in the 10th that was clearly a slip, lost a majority decision, whereas he would have won a split decision if not for the knockdown call. Close fight either way. I'll stop whining. We lost $70. Uh, Meanwhile, Jeff, your credentials as an XFL sharp are in question. Uh, The three-leg over-under parlay went one for three and lost $50. The straight bet on the Houston Arlington over lost. Uh, That cost us $110. I have no idea if any of those were bad beats. All I know is the final scores. Uh, you'll have to let me know if we got unlucky with any of that. Uh, we did not. We did not. Okay. They were legit <laughs> losses. All right. Yes. Uh, one thing I'll say, the books are setting these lines well for the XFL totals. Seems like every game comes within a couple of points of the line in one direction or the other. Uh, anyway, for the week, we lost $130. We're now down by $1,006, just back outside that $1,000 mark. We also have $940 on hold in futures bets, so that leaves us with $8,054 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm getting in on the best director betting. Uh, we are heavily invested in Steven Spielberg. Uh, in total, you've bet 350 to win 575 oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't know it was that much, John. I did yeah. not. No, the, no. the opening bet was $200 at minus 200 So we're kind of uh, digging out of right. that hole there. Yeah, yeah. we are. Um, but uh, so I was chatting with my brother, uh, not the one who works in Hollywood and has been snubbed by the Academy, but another brother, uh, Brother Dave, the one who occasionally steers me toward good tennis bets. He watches more movies than I do. He's familiar with a lot of this year's nominees. And he said, after listening to our podcast last week, I don't know about Spielberg. That movie has a lot of problems, but I'd be pretty surprised if the Daniels win. Uh, so I figure, okay, maybe there's a live long shot here. And I look at the nominees and there's Todd Field, director of Tar. And I know very little about Tar, except that every freaking pop culture podcast I've listened to the last few weeks has featured people saying Tar was their favorite movie of the year. 
I look up Todd Field. Who is this guy? Uh, he directed In the Bedroom, which uh, it's it's weird to call a movie that sad and dark and depressing a favorite movie, but it really is one of my favorite movies of the 2000s. Such a great movie. Um, his only other feature-length movie was Little Children, uh, which I also thought was very good. So clearly this guy's good. People love Tar. If there's a backlash to voting for the Daniels, and if this isn't the moment for Spielberg, Todd Field at plus 1,400 seems like a great bet to me. So let's sprinkle $40 on Todd Field to win 560 and then we're golden if either he or Spielberg win. We, we just got to fade the Daniels. Yeah, uh, I think we're in big trouble. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I may have just thrown another $40 that's away fine. on this. No, I think, honestly, I think that's a, that's, that's a good hedge for us here. Okay. I think, right? All right. I think it's a very, very smart move. All right. Uh, all right. And in, in, in not smart moves. Um, <laughs> this one is just to give me like some more rooting interest. Uh, give me at plus 800, 100 bucks on the Mets to win the World Series. I'm a big, you know, I'm a Mets fan. And, uh, you know, I don't know. They're, this is, if they're not going to win it this year, they're never going to win it. So there you go. 100 bucks <laughs> at plus 800. That, that's, there's my rationale. This that's is pure, the logic, huh? Purely for rooting interest. That's it. And of course, it's purely something I want to root against. Yes, you are. But of yes, course, yeah. I know. Right. But I mean, you know, I, I'm not. By the way, I, I hate the way baseball. I, the, the, baseball needs a salary cap. This is so stupid. Yeah, you know, it's true. There, there are like 15 teams in the in MLB that just have no hope heading into I know the it's, season. I, I don't understand like why they continue to to roll it out like this. Yeah, it's just kind of a mess. I but at it. least at least your team it. and my team are spending money. I know, but like it's I feel dirty about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like the Yankees. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Never want to feel like the Yankees. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, there are tons of boxing bets I like this week, uh, all from one fight card Saturday on Showtime from Ontario, California. I'll start with a pair of undercard bets in the opening bout. I was shocked to see Amilcar Vidal as the slight underdog against Elijah Garcia. I'm sure you were shocked by it too, Jeff. Um, on my boxing podcast, I, I picked Vidal to win in a competitive fight. My podcast partner picked him to win in a quick and easy destruction over the 19-year-old Garcia. So we both picked him, and he's plus 105 at DraftKings. Got to bet that. Let's do $100 to win 105. And then the other fight... I believe in this one a lot less, but I, I think the price is right. Armando Resendez is plus 310 against Jarrett Hurd at points bet. Hurd is a former champ. He's been in a lot of wars and has slowed down a lot. He lost two of his last three. He hasn't fought in almost two years. I think Hurd should still win here, but it's possible he's just all used up. And uh, getting over three to one on that possibility that's definitely got value. So forty dollars to win one hundred twenty-four on the very ordinary but possibly right guy, right place, right time. Armando Resentes. All right, all right. I've never heard of any of these people, but I trust I figured. you. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to some uh, golf podcast this week while drifting off into happy dreamland. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He hasn't teed off yet today, so I'm going to be able to still place this. Keegan Bradley at the Arnold Palmer Invitational to finish top ten, plus four fifty at DraftKings. Hundred bucks. Okay, uh, I, I like that your um, your 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 attitude toward the amount that you spend. Uh, it's it's helped influence my own attitude a little bit. Uh, John and I used to be pretty pretty nitty with the amounts, but you know, if I was doing a plus eight hundred or a plus four fifty, usually go twenty five bucks or fifty bucks or something. But you go the full hundred, and so uh, well, it's the, not and, real. It's not real money, you know. I know, but you know, I still like to take a. Um, 
a, a realistic approach to it. Um, but uh, but I've got to say, it's going to pay off for us, knock wood, with the fact that you put 200 on Jokic at plus 500 for MVP uh, nice, huh? a while back. That one, See? I'm already counting that thousand fake dollars. So. See? Yeah, I know. I stick with me, kid. <laughs> By the way, falling asleep to all these golf podcasts, I I, right. I, I got to recommend Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney is a great podcast to fall asleep to. Check it out. All right. Yeah, I I need golf, but golf bores the hell out of me. So it, it works. <laughs> it works out just fine. I'm like ga- I'm gaining knowledge and falling asleep. It's a perfect combination. All right. It's sort of this is reminding me of the old Stephen Wright bit about uh, uh, he he wanted to learn Spanish, so he listened to a uh, a re- this was back in the 80s a record uh teaching him how to learn spanish as he was falling asleep and the record was skipping and so he woke <laughs> up and he could stutter in spanish <laughs> all right anyway uh here are uh, two more boxing bets i like both on the main event of saturday's card uh, excellent fight on paper brandon figueroa against mark magsayo should be fun for as long as it lasts figueroa is about a three to one favorite and the books say Figueroa by decision is most likely, but I think Figueroa by KO is slightly more likely. So we can get that outcome, Figueroa by KO, TKO, or DQ at plus 195 at FanDuel. So let's do $60 to win 117 on that. And then let's swing for the fences. Uh, Most likely, it would be a late round KO if it's going to be a KO. Figueroa applies pressure. He goes to the body. He wears you down. FanDuel has the band of Figueroa by KO in rounds 10 through 12 at plus 750. Worth a shot, I think. I was going to do just $20 on it to win 150, but uh, I'm inspired again by your spending habits. Let's do mm-hmm. 40 to win 300. Love um, it. And so in total, I'm putting 240 of the roll on boxing this week. A little more than usual, but I think there's value to be found on all these yeah. fights. Good. I like them. All right. I got one that you're also going to like. You okay. ready? Yep. 50 bucks at plus 1500 on DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year, National League, Andrew Painter. Phillies yeah. phenom. Yeah, I, you know what? It's I, I feel uh, somewhat embarrassed that you said the name, and I was thinking, like, oh, that name sounds familiar. Why Why do I know so that name until you said a, Phillies phenom? Right. Now I, now I remember hearing the pitcher, right? Yep, 19-year-old yeah. kid. He was out there yesterday throwing 99 miles an hour. They He has the inside track to break camp as the number five starter. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of good rookies this year, apparently. I couldn't name them off the top of my head, but painters like seventh or eighth down the list, but no, there is nothing that captures the hearts and minds of baseball fans. And by extension, baseball writers than a dominant rookie pitcher, right. you know? And so if painter comes out and is dominant, he, he will quickly rise, you know, give him like, you know, let him be two and O with, you know, 16 K's in his first 11 innings with a, you know, 0.8 ERA. Right. And he's, he's going to be minus 200 to win rookie of the year right. immediately. You know, people will go bananas for him. So I think we're getting value here, you know, assuming he breaks camp as number five, assuming he's any good, assuming he doesn't like tear his rotator cuff, assuming, 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 right. but I like it. And, and, you know, even if he doesn't, even if he starts the season in the minors, it's always that potential for as long as he gets called up by like, early June or something, he's still got a chance to that, you know, the, sometimes those rookie pitchers, you just go like nine and two in, in two thirds of a season. And, and that's enough to win rookie right. of the year. So I, my, my favorite baseball, like time of my life was in 1984. I was yeah, like 12, yeah. you know, 11, 12 years old, Dwight Gooden coming up. Well, was just, he like 19 at the time? Is that right? He was nine. I think he might've 20 even, maybe. No, he was definitely a teenager. He okay. was either 18 or 19. Right. And he just, you know, 
dominant as a rookie, and then like in '85 he was unhittable. Uh, um, watching Gooden pitch, man, when he would get two strikes on a batter, that curveball he threw, holy crap, man! <laughs> God, I mean that was like the height of my baseball fandom, and I I could not, I would have done anything, you know, right. to, to to oh God. The doc, he was awesome. He was. Uh, all right, so so here, here's where I stand on all this rooting. If Andrew Painter comes through and you've won us uh, 750 fake dollars on on this, as long as the Phillies are eliminated uh, in the playoffs by this point, you uh, have my vow that I will go ahead and root for the Mets at that point. You're not going to root for the Mets no matter what. If Maybe they're, if they're the against Mets. the Yankees in the World Series, I might. All right, fair. You might, you might. <laughs> All right. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Keith White. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. You know, I'm starting to get a little tired of this recent backlash against sports betting. Uh, You know, according to the uh, AGA, American Gaming Association, sportsbook revenue in uh, last year, uh, they made about $7.5 billion, the sportsbooks, on $93 billion in handle. Uh, So that's about an 8% hold, meaning about 92% of money wagered went back to the bettors. You know, and now politicians are all in a tizzy about the advertising and the sports betting. Oh, my God, we got to ban it. And who knows knows where this is going to lead, right? Well, you know how much these fucking state lotteries take in? I'll, I'll tell you, according to the National Association of State and Provincial Lotteries, the U.S. lotteries generate over $98 billion in sales, or $98 billion in handle, right? Yeah, wow. Of that amount, their hold is 35%. Wow. All right. Do you hear any politician talking about banning lottery advertising? <laughs> Allow me to answer that question for you. Fuck no. The lottery is pure chance with mafia-like odds. Yeah. Sports betting is skill with a reasonable house advantage. But it's sports betting that's got all these politicians' pennies in a bunch now. Granted, listen, I got skin in the game, obviously, but the numbers don't lie. Politicians do. Don't tell me sports betting is all of a sudden the devil while you're printing lottery profits. It's disingenuous. It's bad for your constituents. Enough already. Gamble on!